Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. They could only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Over the past two decades, student debt has increased from $240 billion to $1.54 trillion. There are 11 million people who are in default on their student debt, and my guest today argues that the federal government is the culprit for both rising student costs and the increase in debt, and he has a solution that will improve higher education for everyone. So let's be bold and get into it. Preston Cooper is a senior fellow at FreeOp, the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, and has a proposal to hold colleges account and universities accountable for prices and outcomes. Preston, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, what's federal loan policy today? Yeah. So federal loan policy today is essentially the federal government will give students a no questions asked, in some cases unlimited loan, to go pursue higher education. And sometimes this really works out for the students. Sometimes the student takes on a loan, goes to get a higher degree. Uh, that degree increases their earnings and they're able to pay off the loan with interest. That's when it works. But sometimes the system doesn't work. You know, sometimes the federal government gives loans uh, to finance educational programs that really don't justify their costs. Sometimes Sometimes students end up with debt that they can't repay uh, to taxpayers, uh, and they're unable to pay back their loans. Sometimes they default. Sometimes they become delinquent. Uh, sometimes they don't even cover the interest on their loans through their monthly payments. And that's when student loans really become a problem. And so we really need to look at what is the underlying value of the education that the student debt is financing? Sometimes it's a uh, very positive value. Sometimes it's very negative value. But the key thing is, is that the federal government doesn't discriminate between programs that are providing students with a real return on investment and programs that are just leaving students in debt that they're not able to repay. So I propose to hold colleges accountable for unpaid student loans as a way to uh, for colleges uh, to face the incentive that if uh, they're offering programs that just cost too much and deliver too little, they're going to be held financially responsible for that. They're going to have to reimburse taxpayers uh, for those unpaid student loans. And as a result, they'll have an incentive to offer much higher quality education if they're going to use federal student loans. Uh, if you held the universities responsible for paying unpaid student loans, why would anyone pay off their student debt? Well, I don't uh, propose to make the students, you know, the, make the students not responsible for the loans. The students will still be responsible for for paying back the uh, the debts that they owe. But I'm just saying that if we get into a situation where it becomes clear based on the payments that the student is making, if it becomes clear that the student is not going to be able to repay that loan in full, uh, then the federal government will step in and say to the colleges, "This debt has gone bad. You know, this uh, this debt is not going to be collectible for us. We're going to." have to write it off. We're going to have to forgive it. Um, and we're not going to let taxpayers eat the losses on that. We're going to say to the colleges, you know, you provided this education, you charged way too much and your program doesn't deliver enough. So we're going to have you reimburse us for the uh, cost that the student has not been able to pay back. Is that um, the, the default definition of value is uh, uh, whether your students can pay, uh, pay off the loans that they have accumulated while going to the college? Or how do you measure uh, the value that a student gets from college? 
That's a great question. So we look at loan repayment rates. Basically, we look at five years after students enter repayment, how much of their loan have they paid off? And we know we can uh, get our Excel spreadsheets out and we can calculate that if you are going to fully repay that loan within 20 years, by year five, five years after you took out the loan, you should have fully repaid, you should have repaid uh, 10% of the balance. So if you haven't repaid 10% of the balance, then we can say to the colleges, you know, we have some problems here. Your students are just completely not on track to repay their debts. Uh, and that's when we're going to start to hold the colleges accountable for uh, the loans that we expect are not going to be repaid. So that's our measure of financial value is the loan repayment rate, because it takes into account two things that we really care about. It takes into account how much did the education cost, how much did students have to borrow in order to um, in order to get that education, and how much are students earning? You know, how much are they... Uh, the earning after graduation, which obviously contributes to their capacity uh, to repay their debts. If those two things are kind of out of line with one another, if a student borrowed way too much, or if the student is earning way too little, uh, then the loan repayment rate is going to reflect that. Students aren't going to be repaying loans at a rate that's uh, commensurate with uh, fully repaying off the loan within 20 years. Uh, and so at that point, we can recognize, you know, the student is not going to repay this loan. It's probably not going to be collectible. And that's when we can step in and say the college needs to be held accountable for it. So today, can anyone get a federal loan to pay for their costs of college? Yes. If you are a high school graduate uh, you're and you are uh, uh, don't have a criminal record, uh, and you're going to an accredited school, you can get a federal student loan to pay for your education. Uh, what are the limits on that? How much can you borrow? So if you're an undergraduate, uh, a dependent undergraduate, you can borrow up to $31,000. Your parents can then borrow an unlimited amount from the federal government on top of that $31,000. Uh, and if you're a graduate student, you, the student yourself, you can borrow an unlimited amount from the federal government. So uh, many aspects of this program are effectively unlimited. And kind of the result of this has been colleges saying, you know, we are uh, able to get our students unlimited loans uh, backed by taxpayers, backed by the federal government. Um, we're not being held accountable when students aren't able to pay them back. The natural thing for a college to do is to say, we're going to increase prices. We're going to have students borrow more. Uh, we're going to uh, plow the new money into hiring a bunch of administrators and uh, a lot of things that uh, don't have much bearing on the quality of the education uh, because we really face no incentive to do otherwise. Yeah, and that's part of the, what's driving cost increases for universities, right? I mean, they're not really competing over costs anymore since that's not limiting whether students can go. They're competing with um, attractive features to get students um, to get to attract students to, or to, to get students to go there uh, instead of going to other colleges, which are also not competing over cost. Exactly. Yeah. The, the colleges simply, you, you put it great. You know, the colleges are not competing on price anymore. They're competing on prestige. They're competing on amenities. They're, they're competing on all these other dimensions, but they're not really competing on trying to get the costs lower for students uh, because the federal government has kind of stepped in, kind of broken the market. It's just not functioning like a, like a normal free market anymore. Um, and the result is that students are paying higher costs. Well, and as we kind of went over in the intro, like this, it's not as if oh, there used to be federal student loans, like there, this has been a long term policy, but there's just so much more now than there were uh, than there was 20 years ago. And this doesn't come without uh, uh, costs, as in there are some victims of this federal policy of the people 
who are in default, who weren't able to pay, who were, uh, were able to rack up a lot of college debt and didn't find themselves in a position where they can, uh, they can pay it off. So, I mean, they, um, that's a lot of people uh, yeah. who, I mean, why, why doesn't anyone seem to care about them? Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, I'll sometimes hear, uh, you know, people on the left say, you know, student debt is this horrible tragedy that's, you know, oppressing 45 million Americans. And then I'll sometimes hear people on the right say, oh, well, there's no student loan crisis at all. And the real reality is, you know, somewhere in the middle, you know, some people took on student debt, they got a uh, degree that paid off really well, they're able to, to pay back their loans, you know, they don't need a handout from the federal government, they don't need loan forgiveness. But then you also have this group of people who took on loans who either didn't get a degree, or they got a degree that's just not worth very much in the labor market, or they maybe they paid too much for, for their degree because their colleges uh, took advantage of unlimited federal loans to jack up the price. And a lot of those people are then not able to pay back their loans. As you mentioned, we have 11 million people uh, who were either in default on their loans or were delinquent on their loans uh, prior to the pandemic when uh, all student loan payments were paused for three years. Um, and so this is, you know, this, this, this is a problem. You know, there, there still is, there really is a problem uh, with student loans, but I think that uh, people often get the problem wrong because people say, oh, well, student loans are an inherent evil. And that's not the case. It's what's really the case is that student loans go bad when they are used to finance education that that does not pay off. And then students default, they get their wages garnished, all sorts of all sorts of horrible things happen. And if we're going to actually fix this problem, we really need to go back to the root of it, which is why does not why does the education not pay off? Why do the loans go bad? And the reason for that is that often colleges are not providing enough value of in uh, for what they're charging. All right. So under your plan, you're going to have these higher education institutions effectively pay, uh, pay the student debt uh, to the federal government for their students who, uh, who, were, uh, who were not able to pay it off themselves. And you've got a plan for how to spend that money, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we estimate that, uh, you know, uh, requiring colleges to compensate the government for unpaid student loans, that'll bring in about uh, $13.5 billion per year in the long run. So Which quite a bit of money. not a lot in the federal <laughs> government scheme, but yeah. very much for <laughs> Not a lot person. in the federal government scheme, but still a fair amount uh, uh, in the, in the, on the higher ed side of things. Uh, we put about half of that money um, into extra financial aid for lower income students who pursue high return programs. So we uh, want to say to uh, students who are who are lower and middle income, who are getting a Pell Grant from the federal government to help them pay the cost of college, we want to say, we're going to support you if you're going to go into a program that we think is going to pay off and that is charging a reasonable price. So we look at, you know, how much are graduates of this program earning? Uh, what was the What is the price that they're paying? And we look at if we think that the earnings are high and the price is pretty reasonable, we'll give lower and middle income students a bit of an extra Pell Grant uh, in order to go pursue that program. So if you're going to go uh, be an engineer or you're going to go be a um, computer scientist or a nurse or an economist or a business person, if you're going to choose one of these majors that has a good track record of, um, of graduating students into well-paying jobs, we'll give you some extra financial aid to, to, to make that happen. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to ding the college. We're going to reduce the financial aid if they try to take that and increase prices for it. So we're not going to let them get away with that. But we are going to say, you know, we want to encourage these fields uh, that, you know, tend to pay off well for students, fields that the economy really needs, for fields where there tends to be 
a bit of a worker shortage, but we're not going to give extra financial aid to people who are just going to go study uh, gender studies or interdimensional dance therapy or, or some of these other you know silly majors that uh, that don't tend to pay off and that leave people unable to pay their student loans. So you know we do believe you know in uh, in helping students who are trying to make the right choices, but that has to come with conditions. That has to be come with um, you know uh, going to a program with a good track record of leaving students able to pay their debts. All right. So um, you mentioned Pell Grants, and Pell Grants are needs-based scholarships from the federal government to help people pay uh, pay for college, which they already do already. And uh, um, and I mean, your kind of idea sounds like you put some conditions on those as well to try and force it through this value framework, regardless of whether you get this um, uh, uh, students or sorry uh, higher education institutions to pay off. Um, uh, their uh, student loans of, pe- of their students who are unable to pay. Yeah, that's right. So we are. Uh, so uh, to, just to clarify, um, the we're not touching the base Pell grants. So mm-hmm. you know the current Pell grant, which is uh, seventy four hundred dollars oh. a year, that's not going to be touched. But what we're going to say is that um, if you're attending one of these high return programs with high earnings um, and uh, and relatively low prices you're going to be eligible for an extra Pell Grant on top of that, up to $5,000 extra. Most of that is is less than $5,000, but it goes up to $5,000 if you're attending one of these good programs. And that's a way of kind of nudging students to to go into programs where there are are high wages, where there is kind of a... uh, a worker shortage where we do need more people with this kind of training, such as nursing, uh, engineering, computer science, uh, also at the trade school level, you know, vehicle maintenance and repair, HVAC work, you know, welding, these are also programs that will qualify for those extra Pell Grants. You know, places where the, the earnings are high and the prices are very reasonable, uh, we think, you know, it's 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 worth putting uh, back some of the money that we're raising from the colleges into extra financial aid for the students so that the money that the federal government is spending is actually going to students rather than the colleges themselves. All right, so we've got the got our proposal. Get some skin in the game. Use some of the extra proceeds to do some extra need, uh, needs-based financing. Is your idea within the Overton window? I believe that it is. I think that there's a lot of bipartisan interest in holding colleges accountable for for bad outcomes. You know, everyone uh, uh, in in Congress, you know, a few years ago seemed to have a risk sharing proposal, seemed to have a skin in the game proposal. Um, lots of people have have shown interest in basically saying to colleges, you know, you're the free ride is over. You're not going to be able to continually access um, money from the federal student loan program unless you're starting to. Uh, to show some actually good outcomes for your students. And so I think that uh, there would, would be bipartisan interest in something like this. You know, I think that uh, Republicans would uh, really like the fiscal responsibility uh, aspects and, you know, trying to encourage uh, students to study study programs, uh, study majors that are going to lead to a good return on investment. I think uh, Democrats will like how this uh, incentivizes schools to uh, keep costs down, to keep their students out of default. I think that there is a bipartisan appeal to a proposal like this. Um, I think that the main challenge is just going to be overcoming the entrenched uh, higher education lobby in order to actually get acro- get it across the finish line. Well, I mean, I I suspect that you are correct. Is and there's a good bipartisan there's sorry there's a good reason to do this kind of thing that ought to apply across ideologies. Um, but right now, I mean, our higher education institutions get a ton of money for nothing in return. I mean, they have high, nearly unquestionable status among a lot of lawmakers. And a lot of common sense reforms on higher education simply fall away because a lot of higher education institutions don't want them. Now, is, is this the kind of situation that you 
find yourself in, or um, uh, does the or sorry, does their status ultimately need to be changed in order to get a proposal like this across? Uh, yeah, it's I, I won't I, I'll be honest with you, it is a formidable challenge. You know, lots of people have gone up against the higher education lobby and lost because you know they are they're a very very powerful special interest group, and every every member of Congress has some co- college or institution of higher education in their district who is going to um, fight any accountability tooth and nail. But that's why I think that the carrot and stick approach in um, in in my proposal um, can actually help with this issue. So we are uh, we are using a stick. We are requiring colleges to compensate taxpayers for unpaid student loans. That's obviously a new cost for the colleges. But we're also using a carrot. We're saying to colleges, you know, if you have high quality programs at an affordable price point. We're going to give your students extra financial aid, and that's going to enable you to expand enrollment. And if you're offering a lot of high-quality, cheap programs, you could actually come out ahead. So I think that there are some colleges that will look at this proposal and say, hey, you know, we are offering a lot of vocationally oriented programs. We are offering programs that get students into jobs, get them high earnings. Our tuition is pretty reasonable. We're probably going to do pretty well under this new system, and we actually might come out in support of a proposal like this. Then, of course, you're going to have uh, colleges that uh, are wildly expensive, don't produce a whole lot of value for students, um, and they're, of course, going to face huge new liabilities under this proposal. They're going to come out against it. But if you can kind of divide colleges that way, if you can say the good colleges are really going to come out well, the bad colleges are really going to get hammered, uh, then I think that you uh, stand a better chance of, uh, of passing something like this into law because the colleges themselves are somewhat divided over it. Uh, have you gotten some colleges to endorse this kind of idea? <laughs> well, not not quite yet. Yeah, but uh, we are. I mean, it's new. <laughs> Mine, but yeah, it it is it is very early. We just put this out, you know, a month ago or so ago. So we're still working on it. But um, there is there is a fair amount of interest from across the spectrum in uh, in doing something like this, you know. And it doesn't have to be my proposal. You know, there are other proposals out there mm-hmm. to uh, force colleges to have some skin in the game that uh, that others across the political spectrum have have offered. And there are some uh, colleges who say, you know. We want to be held accountable. We we recognize that you know this gravy train has gone on for too long, and uh, we think that we're offering some high quality education, and we want to make sure that um, uh, the schools that are off uh, accessing the student loan program are also going to be high quality uh, as well. We think that um, th- there are some schools that I think uh, do want uh, are not opposed, or at least not opposed to uh, to gra- greater accountability. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned that there are some other people who are kind of on your side on this, even if it's not they're not lined up behind your plan. And and this idea that like the way to get this is to have colleges have a skin in the game over the financial outcomes of their students. Um, I think we uh, I think that's right. But who else is engaged on this? Uh, like, who is the higher education reform community? Yeah, well, I think it's um, it's a fair amount of you know concerned parents, uh, students who recognize that. You know, the cost of higher education has just gone up for way too long, you know, that there are a lot of colleges that just aren't delivering the economic mobility they promise. And I think that a lot of uh, people are really frustrated. There was a Wall Street Journal poll that came out a couple of weeks ago basically showing a majority of uh, Americans nowadays do not do not believe that a four-year college degree is worth the cost. Um, and that was not a majority 10 years ago. This is Although, a definite shift that we me, have seen. Let me yes. stop you there because... It's not about whether the majority of people think that colleges are worth it. It's about whether high school grads and other people who might consider college think that it's worth it. I mean, that's 
the people who make that decision about whether it's worth it or not, you have to live by there. By the way, and most people don't go to college, or sorry, yeah. I don't know. Most people don't get a college degree. I know that, but I, I can't tell. I don't recall whether, like, for recent grads, these or recent high school grads these days, whether most of them go to college or not. Those ones yeah. have to be pretty close, right? Sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I can give you another piece of evidence on that front because people are voting with their feet on higher education. We have seen college enrollment declining for the last 10 years or so because I think a lot of students are very frustrated with the high cost and very inconsistent results of higher education. This really accelerated during the pandemic. College enrollment plunged um, by six or seven percentage points uh, since 2020. A lot of students are saying no thank you to college anymore. And colleges, you know, really need to wake up about this. They're, you know, they're blaming, you know, evil Republicans or something. They're blaming factors that are outside of their control. But no, they really have to recognize that these factors are in their control. What students want most from higher education is the guarantee that this is going to lead to a good job at a relatively affordable price. And too many colleges are simply not delivering on that very basic standard. And so we are seeing students vote with their feet right now. They're leaving college. Uh, they're not enrolling in the first place. They're going directly into the labor market or they're going to non-traditional options or trade schools. Um, I think that you know, this this is a trend that has been going on for a few years now, and it's uh, becoming impossible to ignore. All right. So on, on the one side, you've got uh, on this issue, you've got higher education institutions who would really much prefer, at least uh, some of them will prefer, give, uh, give us the money, uh, loan money to to our to our students and don't ask for much in return. Um and on the other side, you've got uh, some cross-ideological uh, skepticism that our higher education institutions are providing value, um, that the, some people want to encourage them to do better. But you also, uh, you've had the changing opinions about or from the public about higher education. You've got some concerned stakeholders. Um, who else is engaged in this debate? Yes. Well, you've obviously also got state governments. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, there's a lot of concern, particularly in red states, about the direction that uh, that higher education is going. You know, Florida and Texas, in particular, have introduced um, some pretty aggressive. Uh, reforms to their to their state systems of higher education um, in recent years. I think, which um, you know. Uh, there's, it's a very broad swath of reform, so I won't try to generalize too much, but I think a lot of it is born from a shared belief that uh, you know higher education isn't necessarily delivering on its pro on its promises. It has moved away from notions of economic value to you know focus on political issues and you know all of this all of the stuff that doesn't really matter to uh, to students that really uh, really matters most to uh, administrators with uh, too many social justice degrees. Um, so I think that you know you do have a fair fair coalition on this who recognize that uh, there really is a problem in higher education that needs to be solved. And we can debate about what the exact solutions are for that kind of thing. But I think that we uh, can unite around the idea that colleges should be held accountable to some degree for what they produce for students. One of the things that I think, just uh, think about this issue of like, look, there's a lot of good solutions about how to fix uh, how to fix higher education. There's a lot that's been written in this, but the, these institutions are so um, stultified. There's, St uh, stagnant. That stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. That that they're just not going to adopt these things. Uh, uh, these things willingly, and on this, it's kind of like a high importance, low saleability kind of uh, kind of thing. Sometimes there just needs to be like a big thing that people that emphasizes the problem that uh, that can do this. And I gotta think that the debt that that increase in debt. Again, we're talking about more than quintupling debt. Um, 
over over two decades. That ought to make this issue more salient. 11 million people in default ought to make this issue more salient. But then again, I also look at all the things around the policy debate to minimize that salience. So for instance, you take the higher uh, this the student debt, and some of the people think that the solution is just to have the federal government pay for it and not ask uh, institutions to do anything about it. So do these how how do these how how does that higher education reform debate uh, how is that uh, working out right now? What do you think are some of the risks to your proposal going forward? Yeah, well, I think that you know the emphasis on lo loan forgiveness is a big mistake because you know we forgive four hundred billion dollars in student debt as President Biden has proposed. What happens next year? We're still lending almost a hundred billion dollars in new student loans every single year. You know, in five years we're going to be right back where we started. That outstanding level of student debt is going to climb back up to $1.7 trillion. A lot of it's not going to be repaid unless there are fundamental changes uh, to the system. So yeah, right off the bat, I want to say that, that uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> the loan forgiveness route is a huge mistake because it's essentially just kicking the can down the road. What we, I think we really need to take uh, emphasis away from just the uh, loan forgiveness issue, you know, uh, which is a very backward-looking issue, and look at this issue through more of a forward-thinking lens. Say, okay, $100 billion of new student loans are going to go out next year. How can we make sure that we don't end up in the exact same situation that we're in right now with those, those new $100 billion worth of student loans? And I think when you frame the problem that way, you know, you'll get people, even advocates of loan forgiveness to say, okay, you know, that's a good point. We need to make sure we don't end up with the same student loan crisis uh, five years from now. And that's when you start to get people thinking about, okay, why are people unable to pay their student loans? And what can we do to fix that going forward? Uh, so we've spoken with long time or a long time uh, higher education reformer, Richard Vetter, about his work. And when I talked with him, I was surprised to hear him say that despite all of his work and his long career on this issue, that he didn't think he had much of an effect upon policy. That universities are institutions that can hum along fine enough without changing, and presumably they're going to be a lot happier without what you're selling. So how worried are you about that? Yeah, well, I think that... Um I, I think that there we are starting to see a change, you know, even without policy intervention right now. So I mentioned that uh, college enrollment has been declining for the last several years. You know, that is that in and, in and of itself is kind of a new phenomenon. For most of history, college enrollment had been climbing every single year. More and more people were going to college. That is a big reversal right now. I think we're seeing more of an emphasis from students themselves on whether the degree is going to pay off. We are seeing more students enroll and graduate from uh, computer science engineering programs, you know, trade programs as well, uh, programs that uh, do have a kind of a track record of good labor market returns. And even tuition, we're seeing decline a little bit uh, right now. It's not, not too much of a decline, but it is a little bit of a decline, or at least it's not going up as fast as it as it used to, because colleges are starting to go into panic mode and saying, you know, hey, we're losing enrollment. We got to cut tuition in order to attract those students back. So I am I am somewhat hopeful that these developments that we're seeing, even without the intervention of policy, are going to put some more pressure on the higher education sector to change. Now, naturally, I think that policy uh, could help speed things along by the federal government saying, hey, you're not going to get a free ride on taxpayer-backed loans anymore. But I, I wouldn't uh, discount the potential of just market changes by themselves to, to drive some fa fairly fundamental change in higher education. What do you think it's going to take to get your proposal across the finish line? 
<laughs> well, I think uh, I think it's going to I think it's going to take a recognition that you know if say the Supreme Court strikes down President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, as I think is probably going to happen. By the way, think, we are one of the people challenging that. Okay, the, good, good for you. <laughs> uh, so if that if that uh, Supreme Court decision comes down and uh, the the loan forgiveness plan gets struck down, as I think is going to happen, a lot of people are going to be saying, "Well, what now?" You know, we thought that we were going to forgive $400 billion worth of student debt. That's not going to happen anymore. Uh, people are going to be looking for another path forward. And I think that we can kind of channel that energy into saying, you know, you might not have been able to forgive yesterday's loans, but you can make it so that tomorrow's loans don't have to be forgiven by making sure that, um, you know, when we're giving out new loans, those are going to programs that um, are actually producing real economic value for students. And I think that is a message that um, that people of many different political stripes can uh, rally behind. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to question you on one of the, the basic points that you make. And I agree that college is sold as the ticket to the middle class. Uh, get a good education and you're more valuable in the market. But I don't think that students in school are really learning valuable things. I mean, most of the benefits seem to come from an employment signaling device, with some exceptions. And I love the liberal arts, and I think that they are grossly underappreciated. But I don't think a lot of students are going to to um, uh, to college to study philosophy and to and, and to you know become uh, become lifelong learners. Uh, isn't there a better way to do all of this without having to go through a four-year liberal arts institution? Yeah, that's an, that's a great point, and that's really the elephant in the room behind a lot of these higher education discussions is the degree inflation issue. So jobs that thirty years ago did not require a college degree suddenly require a college degree now. So people have to go to college uh, to uh, take on a lot of debt to get jobs that just don't necessarily pay uh, college level salaries, and this this becomes a real problem. And what I think we need to do is we need to make sure other options besides the four-year college degree are operating on a level playing field with traditional colleges and universities. So there are other options. There's trade school, there's apprenticeships, there's industry certifications, on-the-job learning, short-term job training programs, lots of different ways that people can acquire the skills and capacities that they need to be successful in the labor market. But for some reason, the lion's share of the federal funding, the lion's share of the state funding goes to traditional colleges and universities. I think if we level the playing field a little bit, say like if you want to pursue an apprenticeship rather than a four-year college degree, we're also going to uh, make sure that you're operating on a level playing field with traditional colleges. So you'll be eligible for the same kind of support grants and 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 whatnot that uh, traditional colleges get. That's when I start to uh, think you might see a bit of a migration away uh, from traditional colleges themselves towards some of these uh programs that might be more effective at preparing students for the labor force, that might be able to get students into the labor force faster, you know, that might be more tailored towards the uh, exact skill and capacity needs of, of today's jobs. So I think, uh, yeah, that's something that we absolutely can't ignore in these discussions, the fact that not everybody should need a four-year degree to be successful in the labor market, and uh, we should be trying to invest in those alternatives uh, at least as much as we are investing in uh, traditional colleges and universities. Preston, good luck in your attempts to shift the Overton window. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinac.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.